Welcome to the SCG Church Young Adults Podcast, where we get to bring you sermons and content to help bring you closer to Jesus, develop your faith, and keep you up to date with everything young adults. Join us Sunday nights at the SCG Church Warehouse for our young adult service, or at our main campus services on Saturday nights or Sunday mornings. We hope you enjoy. Amen, amen. All right. Well, hey, would you guys give it up for our worship team real quick? You. I love it. I love it. All right. Well, uh, what's up? Glad you guys are here. Uh, today... Um, I lied to you last week. Raise your hand if you were here last week. Raise your hand, raise your hand, raise your hand. Good percentage of you guys, yeah. Um, I lied to you. I told you we were doing Romans, and I straight up lied. Um, I didn't know we were. So I've been reading a book, and uh, the book is by a pastor named Andy Stanley. He is a pastor of a pretty large church, North Point, in Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, he has a book that I read years ago that I restarted reading uh, this year um, called Comparison Trap. And so today, I actually want to talk to you not about the book of Romans. We are going to get to Romans, I promise you, um, uh, in two weeks. We're doing this week and next week, Comparison Trap. Then I promise you, book of Romans, all right? Um, by the way, if you're new and we hop into the book of Romans, um, you're, you're like, I've already done... Sick. I've already done 12 uh, sermons on the book of Romans. Uh, and so like on our podcast, um, what's it? What's our podcast? Is it just Seacoast Grace Young Adults? Is that it? On Android? I don't know who has an Android. Why would you? But iPhone, um, you can find uh, all of our, uh, all of our uh, like sermons on there. So go on there. You can listen to me for like 12 hours. So it should be terrible. But anyways, today um, we're going to talk about comparison. Here's why. Um, the more that I've learned about humankind, or at least uh, as I've looked in the mirror, I realize that I do have this massive tendency to kind of compare myself laterally to people in my same age group. Now, chances are, I just turned 30, so I'm probably older than everybody in here, right? At least, probably, I imagine, with a young adults group. I guess, am I young? Am I young anymore if I'm 30? I'm not, I'm not young anymore, huh? Like, it's official. I have gray in my beard. Like, I got a kid. Like, it's crazy. I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm, not, a, I'm not hip anymore, you know what I'm saying? Uh, <laughs> It's kind of crazy, but I've realized that like we have this like this 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 tendency, this disposition, right, to start comparing ourselves to other people at the same or same age group, right, and that makes us either feel superior about ourselves or it makes us feel less than. And so today, I just want to share with you some insights that I've learned as I've kind of chronicled through this book, um, Comparison Trap by Andy Stanley. I'll just be upfront with you: I'm not smart enough to come up with anything that I'm talking about today, um, which is basically true of every single Sunday night, by the way. Um, I'm just telling you what I'm reading and what other people are saying, right? But um, it all for me, this idea of comparison trap, it all, it all kind of started with me in junior high. I wasn't really like athletic, so I hated obviously all the kids that were super athletic, right? I wasn't like good looking, so I hated all the kids that were like good looking. Uh, I hated, I wasn't smart um, by any means, and so I hated everyone that had like a GPA that was like higher than like 2.2, you know, because that was my GPA, right? Which is everyone in the school, right? <laughs> like I had the lowest GPA, right? Uh, or whatever. It's kind of funny, right? Because I have a twin sister. Um, that I'm three and a half hours older, and uh, she's literally like the opposite of me, right? Growing up, she was like the most athletic kid in the school. Um, she had like trophies, you know, for everything. Um, she was like always at the best grades. Like I was like in like the slow classes, you know, and she was like in the opposite, like gate. It was like accelerated. It's like you're like in kindergarten learning like algebra, you know, whatever. She was in the opposite program, right? Um, she always had like guys asking her out, like, and everyone thought I was ugly, whatever, right? It's like there's a whole, it was like we lived like different lives, right? And like, Meanwhile, like, I over here look like the definition of, like, puberty, right? Uh, my voice, like, stopped cracking at, like, 29. Uh, <laughs> um, I had, like, the, I don't know, athletic ability of, like, a fourth-grade girl that's blind, right? And so, we're, like, we're polar opposites, right? I always felt like, and truth be told, like, growing up, like, like God forgot there was, like, two kids in my mom's womb. <laughs> and it was like, oh, okay, cool, I'm going give, to give these gifts. And I was like, oh, no, there's another kid in there. It's like... I'll sprinkle a few your way. You know, like, that's kind of how I felt like it was, right? So I always kind of grew up feeling like I was in, like, lived in the shadow of, like, my twin sister, you know? But here's my insights, really, uh, from all that. I feel like it's really easy, right, for us just to hate the people that remind you of all the things you're not good at, right? And if you were to ask me why you don't you like your sister, right, I would, I would say, I don't know, she's a brat or whatever. But truly, deep down, I was envious of her, right? 
And I'm willing to bet that I'm not the only person here tonight that's had feelings of maybe where you felt like insignificant for whatever the reason was. Maybe you felt like you weren't good enough or that you were insecure. And many of you may have felt this way growing up because like mom and dad or the house that you grew up in was really performance-oriented. To be in this household, to have this last name, you need to go to these colleges, you need to do X, Y, or Z. Maybe in high school, right, you found out that you, uh, you weren't going to the four-year university that you wanted to, and then you had to go to a JC, right? Um, or, or, whatever, uh, or whatever else things. Maybe, uh, maybe right now in life, um, you're comparing yourself to other people who are like, you know, seriously dating and engaged, and you're like single, you know, and you're just like ready to mingle. That's why you're here, right? No, I'm just playing. But like, uh, <laughs> whatever it is, right? Or uh, I don't know, there's people, right, that are getting like all those jobs, and they're making a lot of money, and you're over here like, I'm poor, <laughs> like whatever. And you're starting to compare yourself to people at your own age group, and you're like, I don't feel so hot about myself any longer, right? I think we've all had feelings where we're not feel, we've not felt good enough before. And that's because we've all, we all are surrounded by people that have a bigger er than us. Andy Stanley, in his book, calls this the land of er. What do I mean by this? People who are skinnier, smarter, prettier, happier, richer, whatever it is, right? There's always someone in your life, my life, and in the world around us that has more er. But then there's a flip side of this, right? Where there are people who really are heavier than you, slower than you, shorter than you, dumber that's not even it. There you go. Uh, poor, whatever it is, right? And then they, they kind of make you feel better about yourself. And deep, deep down, you hate that. You also kind of love that um, because you have more er than somebody else. But then there's the other side of this where we start feeling superior, and that's a sin. See, the comparison trap that we all struggle with, the truth is, it's like an appetite. I mean, you have this thing inside you that is going to compare yourself to other people. How am I doing? How do I measure up? I'll give an example of this, right? Let's say um, it takes you five or six years to finish college, for those of us that are in college or went to college, instead of four. You kind of feel like you're dumb. But why? Let me tell you who probably created the four-year plan. Satan. (laughs) You know why? Because you have to abandon anything else to exceed in this one area of life. Where and when would that ever be healthy? Like, if you're not on the four-year plan, who cares? Who cares about what your parents think? Satan would rather have, if Satan can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. That's the four-year college plan, right? Where you absorb your entire life in developing uh, these certain skills or companies, whatever it is, at an expedited rate of four years. And I almost see every single, every single um, uh, young adult that goes to college and does the four-year plan, almost always they have to compromise or abandon their faith to grow in this one arena of their life. And the truth is it's not worth it. But we all have this appetite, this thing that's inside us, right, that's comparing ourselves. How do I measure up? What metrics is what, per, what who are the people around me that I'm kind of laterally comparing myself to to tell me how I am doing about my life? This is an appetite inside us. What is an appetite? Let me give you an idea of this. Uh, the other day, um, actually a while back, I was going to a Korean barbecue with my buddy, and uh, we made the mistake of like ordering all of the food in the beginning while we were super hungry, you know? And we went for the, I mean, we shot for the stars, dude. Like, I was like, dude, I'll get, I'll get six tons of, you know, beef, whatever, like just crazy things, right? And, at the, and, and so the food's coming, the food's coming, and if you like fast forward like 30 minutes into this, we still have plates coming, and I'm more full than I've ever been in my life. I look like a glazed donut because of all the sweat and like grease, right? Like I'm so full, I don't even want to see another like, like piece of meat in my life, and this guy keeps bringing over, like, you know, like, I don't know, marinated pork, whatever, and like, get that out of here, get it out of here, right? I'll pay whatever I need to pay for you to stop bringing this, right? Whatever it is. Now, what happens if you fast forward, like, two or three hours from that moment? I'm, like, waddling over, like, a penguin in my fridge, you know, opening up, just staring into, like, the light, you know, trying to find something that now, hung, that now like, looks good, right? Why? Because an appetite is never satisfied. It always, always comes back. So what do we do with this desire for er, for this desire for more? Think really quick about what you daydream about. That's probably at the essence of what we really worship. What we really want in our lives is what our idle mind goes towards most. What is it? 
Is it a dating relationship? Is it money? Is it status? Is, is, what is it? That's at the, the epicenter of probably our hearts, what we truly care about most. Normally, it's more. So what do we do with this desire for more that we all have, this desire for er, adding er to our lives? Well, let's talk about it. Now, if you go home and if you live with your parents or whatever it is, and they say, uh, uh, hey, Becky, or Rebecca, whatever your name is, what did you learn at church? Here it is. Here's the main point. Here's where we're headed today, all right? Make it simple for you. Comparison robs you. That's it. That's what we're talking about today. Comparison robs you. There's no model, no strategy that you could perfect or, um, or prescribe to that will satisfy the comparison appetite with inside us. Going down this path, there is no way to finally arrive. Feel like you feel good about yourself because there's always somebody that's going to have more er than you in your life as you compare yourself to them. Now, this is a big, big, big deal, right? Because some of you have racked up tons of money on credit cards because you've compared yourselves to people that live outside your economic bracket, whether it be the Kardashians or whatever it is, right? I don't know, maybe um, you're, you have to constantly get the new, new devices. You've got the new, uh, the new Apple Watch. You have uh, the new iPhone 78X Plus S, whatever. Um, and you make like 12 pesos a day, right? That's a problem, right? Because now you're buying all these things and you don't have the ability other than minimum payments to start paying these things down, right? Others of you have stared so long at the pages of Instagram and ladies, right? You're comparing yourselves to these perfected Photoshop bodies that have like more Botox and silicone in them than what... Than, and whatever, right? And you're comparing yourselves to them, and it makes you feel less about yourself because of that. And I started, uh, 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 like, on YouTube shorts. Um, it, like, puts me to bed, and so I started following this one guy. Um, I, can't, I don't remember his, like, YouTube account, but uh, yeah, he always walks up to people at different gyms and just asks Natty or not. And he's asking them if they're on steroids. It is wild to me how many dudes are on steroids. Like, I always thought, like, oh, there's a, there's a yoked guy at the gym, right? Like, oh, he just, like, works really hard. Dude, 90% of the guys that he goes over and talks to, including women, by the way, are all on like are on testosterone replacement or all on some type of steroid or whatever it is. That is crazy. And so here we are, right? We we have Instagrams or whatever it is, and we're seeing these guys and we're like that have these money, the materialistic things, uh, uh, these physically fit bodies, whatever it is. You're comparing these people who aren't even natural by any any sense of the the definition, right? And then that makes us feel less about ourselves because we don't know those things. See, if you're anything like me, you've stared at the life of someone else for too long, compared yourself to them, what they're eating, where they went to school. Um, what they're wearing and what they have, and it's robbed you of being okay with who you are and what is going on currently at your life. See, some of you have had this pressure, right, to measure up ever since you were young because of your parents, right? They compared you to other kids uh, uh, in your neighborhood and things like that. I see this all the time at kids in our youth group. I've been a youth pastor for like 12 years, and I see this almost every single Tuesday and Wednesday night on our junior high and high school services, right? There are um, these Rossmore moms and dads. It's like a wealthier area than they're here. And uh, they, want, they are constantly comparing their kids to the kids that are around them. They get all these kids involved in like 12 or 17 different extracurricular activities, right? Because they need to go to the best schools and they need to do this, that, and the other thing or whatever it is. And then I see these kids come in day in and day out and they just never feel like they're good enough because there's all, they're, they're, it's not a loving relationship. It's a performance-oriented one. Do these things and then you will be loved or then, I, then you'll be esteemed or then I'll look at you or whatever it may be. Some of you, right, you feel like, uh, like you feel uh, maybe the pressure and anxiety right now because you feel like... You're looking at other people at your life stage, and you feel like you still don't measure up, or you're comparing yourself to other people's potential and not your own, and that's going to kill you, right? Because everything you do in school, relationships, social media, your job, and all of it is, is to measure up to someone else. That is exhausting, and that's exactly what our society has done. Constantly, whether it be SAT scores, which I don't even know they use anymore, but whatever it is, right, we're constantly comparing ourselves to other people and asking the question, how do I measure up? That's a recipe for a destruction of self-esteem. That's the society we now live in. Could that be? That's one of the reasons that Gen Z and millennials are committing suicide at rates significantly higher than any other generation in human history. We, to- we did what our parents told us to do, and we're not getting the jobs they promised we'd have. 
one of the reasons, right, that millennials and, and eventually Gen Z, they're getting married at rates way later than, than our parents got married, 30s or onward. There's nothing necessarily bad. It's just the world is not the same world. You know, I remember uh, getting my very first job. Um, I had a few jobs before uh, I worked at a Lakers store, long story, and uh, I worked at a tire company. My buddy's dad, I just changed tires on big rigs. I was like in junior high or ninth grade or something like that. But my first like real, like, uh, real job is I, got, uh, I worked at PacSun, which is terrible. And uh, it's really sucked because like, I don't even fold my own clothes. And for eight hours a day, my sole job was folding the clothes that people just threw on the, on the racks, right? It's death. Anyways, uh, I hated it. And they always be like, <laughs> my manager would come over and say, hey, can you go try to sell these, like, you know, these, these pairs of pants, like two for 50? And I was like, I'm the worst salesman ever. I was like, you don't want this. I don't want to go over here. Like, could you please buy these? Whatever, right? Um, so my job, eight hours a day, just folding clothes, folding clothes, folding clothes, you know, trying to put it back on the rack, right? I hated it. Anyways, I remember going to my interview, and I was tripping, right? I remember just being so nervous, because like for 30 minutes, you just have to prove yourself. Let me tell you why I'm worth it, why I can fold clothes better. Like, like let me tell you my value, right? It's kind of like a first date. It's like the worst thing ever, you know? Like, like it, it sucks. I don't know what happened, but we now almost live like in an entire world where it's kind of like, like an interview, in fact, many of us, I think, have applied this mentality to our relationship with God, and it just drains us even more. I've got to prove myself to my parents. I've got to prove myself to my friends, my boyfriend or girlfriend, and my job, to my school, to God, and now even online. My whole life is proving myself to other people. You know, uh, uh, the reason I think that millennials and Gen Z are committing um, suicide at rates significantly higher is probably this reason here. I came across an article this last week that was entitled, The Suicide Generation. It was written actually in 2011. Here's what it says. The dreaded good-for-nothing millennials, the constant bane of the older generation, lazy, overeducated, unemployed. Millennials seem to be the human trash of today's society. I'm a millennial, so that's cool. Um, so what's a millennial down on his, his or her luck to do? Could we, in fact, be seeing an entire generation ready to commit suicide? And is this, in fact, a bad thing? In a world that's getting increasingly sucky, I'd argue that the pressure on millennials to perform and integrate makes suicide downright patriotic. The author updated his article a few weeks later and wrote this. Well, most of you pretty much figured out this is a thinly veiled suicide letter and a bunch of you posted the National Suicide Prevention Hotline or otherwise advised me to get help. So that's what I ended up doing and I've made a range to see someone on a semi-regular basis for now. So I guess we'll see how that works out. Yikes. Like all, all this pressure of measuring up, living in the land of Ur really does have some consequences on our soul, how you feel about yourself. I think at the root of this is truly a misplaced identity. I've given you this analogy before where like, there's going to be a day where my daughter, she's going to turn one in, in a month or so, and there's going to come a day where she's going to go to school and she's going to start developing this appetite to start comparing herself to the people around her. The other girls that are in her sport or, or, or choir or whatever it is with her GPA or whatever it is, she's going to start laterally comparing herself to other people. And I know that it's going to start, everyone does this, right? Like, she's going to start to, like, feel bad about herself. She's going to either hate herself or whatever it is. There's nothing more in that moment that what I would want for her was to see herself through my eyes because if she could know how loved she was, she wouldn't need the chase for her performance. I pray this every night of her. God, would you fill her heart with your love so she need not go search for love in people or place or performance? Would she have a full heart so she doesn't need validation from the external world but she knows who she is in you? That's what I pray daily. See, here's the reality. I think we all, we all have been caught in this comparison trap and there is no winning in the game of comparison. The root of the comparison trap is a misplaced identity. You think you are what you produce. You think you are where you went to school. You think you are, insert whatever it is. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're none of those things. You're a child of God and whom he loves. You belong and beloved. 
In the book of Proverbs, there's a guy named King Solomon. King Solomon's an interesting dude. God came to him one day and said, dude, I'm hyped on you. I'll give you anything you want. And truth be told, many of us would probably ask for anything other than what he asked for. And the answer that he gave was, God, would you give me wisdom and discernment to lead your people? God was so stoked on that answer, he said, I'm going to give you everything else. I'm going to give you cars. They didn't have cars. I'll give you horses or whatever. Um, I'll give you goats, whatever. I'll give you money. I'm going to give you power and influence. I'm going to make you the most powerful person on the planet. I'm going to give you more money than anybody in human history, all because he asked for wisdom. He's one of the writers of the book of Proverbs, um, which are wise sayings, by the way, if you're new to the whole um, Jesus movement. And here's what he says in the book of Proverbs 1430. It says, a heart of peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. See, some of you, right, you've rotted away your finances because of envy. Some of you have rotted away your relationships because of envy. Some of you have rotted away your self-esteem all because of envy. Why? Because when we give in to comparison, it begins to rot us from the inside out by making you not feel okay with who you are and what God is doing in your life and where you are in your life. Jesus actually addresses this exact idea. And if you've grown up in church, you've probably heard the parable that we're about to jump in today. It's called the parable um, of the talents. It's found in the book of Matthew chapter 25. If you have a Bible, go with me to Matthew chapter 25. Now, I'm gonna maybe teach this parable in a way maybe you haven't heard it before. Now, let me uh, start off by telling you what a parable is for those of us that are new and some questions that whenever Jesus goes off in a parable, you must ask. A parable is a fake story that Jesus told designed to teach the truth. I'll say it this way. It is a earthly story designed to communicate heavenly truth. In the moment, Jesus would just start a, start a story. As he looked and surveyed the audience, he would create a story that would meet the people where they're at to take them where he wanted them to go, to discover or realize the truth about heaven, hell, salvation, identity, who God is, what heaven could be like, any of that type of stuff, what sin is, all that type of stuff. That's what a parable is. It's a fake story designed to teach a truth that Jesus told. Easy enough. Two questions you and I must ask whenever you read a story or a parable by Jesus. Who is God in the story? Who am I? Who is God in the story and who am I? We'll quickly find out who we are and who God is in the story. It says this, Verse, 20, uh, verse 14, chapter 25. Again, it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his highlight wealth to them. Now, this is really important. The wealthy man called the meeting, took his wealth and said, I'm not giving you my wealth. I am loaning to you my wealth. And I want you to do with my wealth what you think I would do with my wealth. Now, I need to kind of pause really quick. This is not actually talking about wealth. Rather, it's talking about opportunities, talents, and gifts. From the moment you were born, God has given you opportunities and gifts those gifts and talents grow as you get older. What are you doing with those things? It's not necessarily talking about the money in your pocket. That's not what he's talking about. So when he gave five bags of gold to another two bags and to one bag, each according to his highlight ability. Two things here. Some translations say gold, some say silver, some say talents. Most scholars agree this was probably 20 to 25 years worth of salary. A substantial amount of money is what he's doing. The second thing I want to point out is that the master in the story is not fair. He gives one five, one two, and one, one bag of treasure, gold, talent, or whatever it may be. He gives different gifts, different abilities to people. Verse 15 and 16. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more bags. Verse 17. So also, the one with two bags of gold gained two more. See, these guys had something in common, although they didn't have the same results. But they both went to work and believed that God, or that this master entrusted them with something. They needed to produce a gain with whatever was given to them. Track with me to the next Verse 18, but the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. See, there was no confusion on whose resources they were. He 100% was, he, he knew whose resources they were. Verse 19, after a long 
time. Now, if you're familiar with parables, whenever it says, whenever Jesus said after a long time, it meant after a lifetime. An entire lifetime, it continues, and said, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them, which is true of every single one of us in this room. The Lord of lords, King of kings, will settle accounts with each one of us one day. So the master calls them in one by one to see what, what, what they had done with what was given to them. He was going to see if they had been good stewards of what has been entrusted to them. I'm going to say that again. God will meet with you as he's fictitiously meeting with these people in these stories to see, are you and were they good stewards of what was entrusted and given to them? Follow with me next verse. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. It's almost like he was waiting in anticipation, right, for his day of appointment with the master. God, look at all the things I did with what you gave me. You gave me X, Y, or Z, and I did this with my life because of the opportunities and giftings and talents that you gave me. Almost like he's happy for this moment. Follow with me. The next verse says this. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things that will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. This is both unusual and awesome. The master is basically saying, because I am happy, I want you to be happy as well. Continues. His master replied, or verse 22, the man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. I did exactly what you would have done with what you have given Verse 23, his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful to few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Notice a few things. Number one, he doesn't compare the, the five bag guy to the two bag guy. By any sense in the mean. One produced six more bags than the other, but they both get the same reward at the end. And, and, and then the next guy, um, like I like to think, like I hear like the, uh, like the Jaws theme song, like dun, 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 because here's what happens. Follow me. Verse 24, then the man who had received one bag of gold came, Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you had not sown and gathering where you had not scattered seed. So I was afraid. In other words, what I'm about to tell you isn't my fault. Um, I, I got sidetracked and I got busy. Um, I had to do college in four years. Um, I wasn't able to be faithful. I wasn't able to get plugged into my church. I wasn't able to demonstrate that I, I trust you with my finances. Uh, what, it, it wasn't my fault why I wasn't a good steward with the things that you gave me. It was because of the world that was around me. I couldn't do as you promised, or, or, or I couldn't do as I promised, or, or I couldn't do with what you wanted to do with my life. It's not my fault. So I was afraid. I went out, hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Verse 26, his master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. I want to pause really quick. With a, start with a question. If you died right now, would this be the response that God would give you with what he's entrusted you? Granted, only if you're a follower of Jesus, does it make sense? So for those of us that would say, yeah, I'm in, I'm in the camp of Jesus, I wear his jersey. If you were to die, if your life was taken from you tonight as you went home, as you slept, if you were to die right now, would this be God's response on what he has entrusted you? Are, in other words, are you a good steward of your life? Here's how you know you're a good steward. If you're a follower of Jesus and you tithe, I don't care about the 10% thing, whatever, are you being faithful with your income? The answer is no. You know what the word lazy means? It means apathetic, which is the only thing Jesus can't be. You can't look at Jesus and go, eh. you either hate him or you love him. What you can't be is, eh. you wicked, lazy servant. There's another camp of people here um, I was meeting with my staff 
uh, earlier this week, and uh, we're trying to get more junior high and high school volunteers. And uh, we're, I was listing off some names. What about this person? What about that, this person? And some of these people are here today. And I don't go on Instagram, and they said, oh, no, they're, they're here every week, but they don't actually live for Jesus. I'm just going to be blunt. What are you doing here? Like, you, that's a miserable existence to try to live in both camps. That's like trying to be on a ski lift, <laughs> putting one foot on the ground and one foot on the ski lift. That's a miserable existence. What is inhibiting you from actually being faithful? And some of these people, you grew up in church. Like, you know you shouldn't be drinking and getting drunk. You know you shouldn't be having premarital sex. Like, you're apathetic about your faith. That's the worst place to be. The worst place to be is almost saved. Where you, where you think you have a relationship with Jesus, but you're going to die to find out you didn't. Earlier this week, I was studying different types of knowledge that are required for, uh, I guess, salvation. One is called cognoski. What does it mean? It means like the cognitive knowledge. Like, yeah, I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. What does Matthew 15, 19 say? Does people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me? They're apathetic. They, they, they proclaim that they follow me, but if you were to look on their Instagrams or TikToks or whatever it may be, you'll see that they don't. The original language um, for Greek, for faith, is the word pistis. And uh, it's one word. It's the word faith. Only in the English language have you separated faith and faithfulness. But in the original language, it wasn't like that. What you proclaimed is what and how in which you lived. There was one word for faith, but we've separated. We've separated the intellectual and cognitive ascension to believe certain presuppositions about who Jesus is and the way that that is to actually affect the way that we live. You know what it means to not use God's name in vain? It means not to stub your toe and use his name as a cuss word. That's not what it means. It means don't identify with Jesus and then live a life that's not in, not in identification with that proclamation. I remember back when I was uh, in sports, whether it be a track or football or when I was in wrestling or whatever, um, and we wear a jersey out, right? You know, I wouldn't wear my singlet out. That'd be weird. But like when we were like on a, on a, on a away game or something like that, we'd wear my Cypress jersey or whatever it is, right, for football. And uh, the coach would always say something, hey, where you're at, you know, wherever you're at, whatever restaurant, whatever liquor store, whatever. Uh, remember, as long as you're wearing our jersey, you're representing our team. You'll bring honor or dishonor to us by what you do in that jersey. See, that's what it means to use God's name in vain. It means to identify with them and just be lazy, be apathetic. Apathetic, what does that word mean? It means that you prioritize other things above your faith, like school, or whatever else it may be. I'm not saying schooling is not important. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. God wants, I think God has a, a biblical commandment for Christians to be intelligent, which is something I think that we've lost in the last two generations, by the way. Apathetic. Follow with me in the next verse, 26. So you knew that I harvest where I had not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. In other words, you knew I was gonna expect something with your life. Verse 27, why then, you should, uh, why then you should have put my money on deposit with the banker, or well then, I'm sorry, so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. But you're too lazy. You didn't care. You're apathetic. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. Now Jesus gives us the main point of the parable, verse 29. For whoever has will be given more and they will have abundance. Whoever has does not, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw the worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, if you grew up in church, you may have read weeping and gnashing of teeth as them throwing this individual in hell. I don't believe that's a great analogy for this because the people in the audience would have said, well, how do we, how do we throw somebody in hell? Like, we can't do that. And here's why I don't think that's a good analogy for hell, because you have wept before and you've gnashed your teeth. 
Do you know when we gnash our teeth, it's often when we are frustrated or really anxious. You did something you weren't supposed to, and you grind your teeth. That's what the word gnashing teeth means. It means that you grinded your teeth, like, like why did I do that? Whatever it may be. Here's the point of what he's trying to teach us. What you have is less important than what you do with what you have. What you have is less important than what you do with what you have. The issue is, I'll say it this way, the issue isn't what you start with. The issue isn't even how much you have or don't have. Rather, what are you going to do with what God has entrusted you with? That's a question that's in your court. If you're not serving anywhere and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're not demonstrating that you, that you can trust him with your finances and a plethora of other, if you're not honoring your bodies, whatever it may be, Faith's objectivity is that you would be faithful, is that you would be obedient. That's how you kill the desire of apathy in our lives. Now, I very much, uh, I feel like I said earlier, I grew up in the shadow of my twin sister, right? I and mean, she's always been someone that, that I felt was better than me at everything, right? Um, she, you know, got the better grades than me, was more athletic, whatever it was. If you walked into our rooms as a kid, you'd see this in juxtaposition across the hall. Her room had trophies, academic and athletic, all around her room. If you walked into my room, it was just bare, empty white walls, right? And so I always grew up comparing myself to my sister, feeling less than because I felt like she was a person that had more bags of gold, more bags of silver or bags of whatever it was. But here's what I learned. You undermine your potential by comparing yourself to others. In fact, you put a lid on your capacity or your abilities by looking at others and asking the question, how do I measure up? I'll say it to you this way. Comparison robs you of experiencing peace, experiencing purpose, the presence of God, and even fulfillment in your life. And so here's the bottom line, that there is no win in comparison. When you start to compare yourself to other people, there is no win. So here's what I'm hoping to do tonight and next week. My hope and prayer is that we would internalize this understanding and take active steps with the power of God's spirit to get and rid ourselves of this comparison trap because this is a deeply spiritual issue that stunts our ability to move forward into the future that God has for us. So I'm going to start with a question, and I'm going to get you guys in your groups. Here's the question, the important question, that I think begins to teach us how to get ourselves out of this comparison trap. It says this, who or what am I going to use as my reference point to tell me that I'm okay or that I'm doing all right? What are you going to use in this world? Are you going to use other 19, 20, 21, whatever the age group is, people that went to these schools or making this amount of money? Who are you going to look at and use as a reference point to tell you that you are doing okay in life? Here's the reality. If you were to answer this question honestly, you'll find that all of us use something. And it could be the very thing that's giving you life or the very thing that robs you of peace and destroys your self-esteem. Put your arm around somebody and I'll pray for you guys. And then we're going to get you guys in the discussion groups to talk about all this. Father, today I am thankful that you are God that promises to be present in our lives. And God, one that looks at us and calls us beloved, one that loves, about, loves us and one God that cares about us. Lord, I ask that you would continue to fill our hearts like I pray each and every single day over my daughter, that you would fill our hearts, God, with your love so we wouldn't need to go search for love or validation or fulfillment or a sense of belonging in any person, in any program, through our performance, in any place, God, but we'd look to your son. So, Father, would you continue to grow us, continue to teach us. Lord, God, we give you this time. We give you our hearts. It's in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to the SCG Church Young Adults Podcast. For more information about our services, events, and ways to get involved, head on over to scgchurch.org. Thanks again for listening.